Hello and welcome back to Decrypted, a cybersecurity podcast for the everyday American. I'm your friendly neighborhood cyberman, Jacob Asida, and I'm joined by my cyber partner in crime, Dayton Williams. It's great to see you, Jacob. It's good to be back. Tonight, the North Korean hackers going even further. This was just the latest in a series of leaks. 143 million Americans, one of the largest cyber attacks in this country's history. Estimated losses from these breaches in excess of $20 billion. This week, I have a question for you. What do juggalos, the Chinese state, and racial profiling all have in common? I, I don't know. Well, that's right, Dayton. <laughs> it's the subject of this week's video. Facial recognition. Facial recognition. I could recognize faces, Jacob. Did you know a person could recognize between 5,000 and 10,000 human faces? Think about that. When you meet someone, you look at their face and catalog it in the Rolodex brain file for human beings. And yet, for all of our brain power, when you see them again you still struggle to remember their name at a party. The fact remains that some people are good at faces, others, not so much. Whichever the case, our minds are incredible interpreters of patterns, and we are particularly wired to see faces. For instance, look at a power outlet and tell me it doesn't look like a surprise little face. Well, I certainly agree with you that a power outlet looks like a face, but what if we could teach a computer to learn faces too, and unlike us, they can actually connect that face to a name, maybe even an address or a social security number, shopping preferences, Maybe criminal history. Well, they already are doing that. You know, improving our innate instincts, new advancements in technology like deep learning and big data are expanding our capacity to scan, identify, and study our collective, well, moneymakers, let's be honest. <laughs> and there's a lot of money to be had. Facial recognition technology has seen a huge rise in newsworthiness over the past few years, and with good reason. Facial recognition technology and its use is becoming way more mainstream. It's not uncommon to use our face to unlock our cell phones or to open our bank accounts. Tech giants like Facebook and Google have connected facial recognition technology to their products, and they can automatically tag you or your friends in images that they have stored in their systems. Law enforcement agencies in the U.S. and abroad have facial scanning software that can pick people out of a crowd and do it pretty accurately. The blossoming technology can and will be a transformative force in public safety, advertisement, and social engineering. But... Well, where we see it in practice, we find that, like any technology, facial recognition tech is not perfect, and it's not morally agnostic. Using facial recognition technology can be convenient if you want to order a chicken sandwich from KFC and carry heavy implications for, you know, state-sponsored surveillance of citizens, perhaps. We're training machines to recognize our faces, but the training sets are biased and can return false positives. And when dealing with law and order... Bias in technology means that injustice is a huge threat to privacy. And nowhere can you see the impact of facial recognition ubiquity more than in China. To take a further look at this, we're going to now look at a clip from the Wall Street Journal. For decades, facial recognition has been the stuff of science fiction. But for many here in China, it's already becoming a part of daily life. Thanks to huge advances in artificial intelligence, people here can use their faces to log into mobile apps, access office buildings, and take money out of ATMs. Not all of the applications are so mundane. Police are also using the technology to shame jaywalkers and to scan crowds for persons of interest. A massive centralized database makes it possible for authorities and some private companies to identify nearly anyone by capturing their face. 
you know, China has made a lot of great strides and has, a, you know, very few restrictions in its ability to actually implement a facial recognition technology. In the U.S., there's actually quite a large debate over its um, legality here. Uh, and we're going to get into that today. But uh, I think one of the fun, just a fun little segue for China is actually, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there's actually a problem with some of the advertisements that you might see on like a bus or something like that. So let's say like a bus speeds through a red light. Uh, sometimes it recognizes the face on the advertisement, and that person suddenly gets a charge saying that they were speeding through so-and-so zone, even though they were nowhere near that zone, just because right. it recognizes it. So it's kind of a funny sort of situation. <laughs> it's funny in a terrifying sort of way. Um, right. I think automating law enforcement is something that is very dangerous. I think in general the way our economy moves is that automation is key. And it's not just automation as in like robotics and factories, but automation and paperwork and automation in, in uh, filing things. Anything that can be atom- automi- automated, there's a push to get it automated. And tools like these that are supposed to make law enforcement officers' jobs easier, it kind of creates this system of panopticon where there's always, always cameras, always watching everybody. And if you make a mistake, you are going to get caught. And right, and I think it's important to illustrate, I mean, maybe here in the U.S. we don't see it as much. Cameras aren't, you know, they exist, but they're not as, I guess, as ubiquitous as in China. But even in, like, you know, a lot of Western states like England, I mean, cameras are basically ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. You can't walk down a street without seeing a CCTV, you know, staring back at you, you know, the ever-watching eye of Big Brother. And uh, so I actually wanted to drop down on an idea of how you were talking before about how tech giants like Facebook and Google have been connecting you know, facial recognition, you know, so you can automatically tag yourself and your friends. Do right. you remember the time on, I think it was either Twitter or Facebook, but people were doing like, show a picture of you 10 years ago and 10 years now and show how you've, you know, you've glown up. Oh yeah. I think it's glow up. Glow up. Glow yeah, up. That's it. Not glown up. Glow up. Sorry. My apologies. Glow right, right. up. Well, I mean, that's all well and good, you know, and it's fun to see how people change, but you know, uh-huh. you're also training. Did not and- change. Glow up. Of course. Glow up. <laughs> uh, well, it's fun to see how people glow up, but uh, the fact of the matter is what you're really doing is kind of training a data set that's used to see how somebody would age naturally mm-hmm. and helping to train machine learning algorithms to see how people age. So you could possibly even be identified 10 years down the the line as well. So it's interesting. I mean, that you know, that sort of technology can be helpful. You know, it could be used to help locate missing children, you know, mm-hmm. but it can also be used to, you know, try to find people. Right. Or- and I think I think the big uh- you really need two things for something like facial recognition to technology to really make big change, right? And one is uh, artificial intelligence, like machine learning kind of things that can take information and create something out of it. Yeah, something that other, can process all yeah, that data. It's just too much. And the for other an thing old you person. need, the other thing you need, is all of that data. Mm-hmm. You need that large amount of data that a mach- that you can feed into an artificial intelligence. To, to, to it's called feeding your child. <laughs> I guess <laughs> you, in have a to, way, yeah. you have to feed your child information so it can learn, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there are a lot of structural issues and flaws on both sides of that that mm-hmm. make artificial intelligence and big data and facial recognition um a little problematic so i I think the one that i think one thing that i think is really important in highlighting is uh the data sets that we're giving facial recognition technology Mm. right uh when we were talking to um alberto martinez a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. um he was talking about ai and, and its use and it's it's you know it's growth and one of the things that was really interesting is that if you're training an ai to find criminals in a crowd you give them a 
a data set of, of mug shots of criminals, mm-hmm. right? So the AI will say, oh, this person looks like a criminal. This looks like a person who's a criminal. This looks like a person who's a criminal. But who is and who isn't a criminal is a very biased data set. Yeah, it is. Right? Like you have police who have biases. You have, you know, prosecutors, judges that have biases. And so you're giving your, your, the AI is inheriting these biases into the system. Yeah, suddenly it's starting, it could even easily take on a racial bias just by, because of human flaws being in the data. You know, you, you suddenly get a basically, a, a, I mean, it's hard to say, but it's a racist algorithm in a way, even yeah. though it's not, it, it itself is not knowing that, you know, right. but, it, but it's right. what the data it has is, is, is heavily flawed. Yeah. And, and we see this already in the um, kind of facial recognition scanning that's going on in um, the Muslim areas in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, their algorithms are designed to find, you know, um, Islamic, uh, ethnic Chinese that are not Han Chinese. I see, yeah. And so there's this huge push in the tech itself for it also to, you know, pick up people who aren't, who are in a minority of a larger country. And so that that has huge implications for justice. Right. You know. I mean, you know, going into some sort of, you know, relevant cases here, I mean, we have the case of like, you know, we have JetBlue is beginning to use facial recognition for when you're boarding their plane. I mean, they, they'll they say that they're not using it. They're saying that, you know, like the TSA and such are, are the ones providing the data that they check against. So there's like sort of like, well, where are they getting this data from? And what's the legality of them holding your facial recognition data? Are they pulling it from like your passport mm-hmm. or you're from, you know, your state ID driver's license? Are they pulling it from other recent photos? Right. And what sort of rights do you have that exist for your own face, honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Do you own your own face? Like if someone takes a picture of you, do you own the right to your face? Yeah, that's a very hard question to answer, to be honest with you. I don't think it's as quite as dry as right. people think. Yeah. To be honest with you, I mean, in the subject, you know, I think a comparable case is with your fingerprints. Uh-huh. You know, you can, you know, if a police officer, like, takes a print of your fingers, you you can't, like, plead the fifth or anything to stop them from taking your fingerprints because you would leave them anywhere anyway. Right. I think kind of that same argument would probably apply to your face, that you really don't have a right to what your face looks like, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that there is, like, a, you know, you shouldn't people shouldn't be allowed to just take pictures of your face. Right. Right. But know? it's so easy. It's so easy to have cameras everywhere. It's of almost course. a given like you can't, right. you know, people driving around can be captured by, you know, a satellite on Google maps, right. you know, and they have technology that's supposed to blur people's faces, yeah. but they get to choose, you know, yeah. faces to blur. And I think one of the really interesting things about that whole, you know, do you own the right to your own face or not? Is that, you would think, oh, well, you know, what if you're in a crowd of people and someone takes a picture and it's there, mm-hmm. but now your face is a lot more than just a face. You know, like 20, 30 years ago, if you had a, a picture of, of a thousand people's faces, that doesn't really mean much, right. right? Now, there's systems in place where you can scan those faces and connect them to who those people, they belong to, and now those faces can be used to unlock things. So that's what's interesting. We have a key mm-hmm. attached to the top of our neck. right. I mean, it's very much like, again, I guess the most comparable case, again, is like the fingerprints. You know, you have fingerprint scanners to get into your computer. Again, not really something you own. Someone can easily steal that or, you know, can obtain it. So it's sort of like this uphill privacy battle for people for their face. And there's even talk in the U.S. about banning the use of certain uh, facial recognition uh, technologies, especially in the wake of the recent news. I don't know. It's not it's sort of been like an ongoing sort of story. Uh I don't know if you've heard about, you know, ICE and Amazon and the use of so that's ICE is in uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement. Uh Uh, But, you know, the use of facial recognition to, you know, effectively to detain people. Right. Um, you know, there, there's some legality of that and, and using, you know, Amazon's technology, this sort of dicey about, you know, what they're kind of doing. But, you know, 
I think just for privacy advocates in general, it's sort of an uphill battle for Mm -hmm. trying to reclaim ownership of your own face, unfortunately. Right, right, exactly. And I think think the law and justice kind of goes hand in hand with accountability. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that that I think is really interesting about kind of the uses, because I think like China's use of facial recognition technology is almost a a look into the future of what's going to be possible in a lot of other countries if we don't have strong protections in place. I would agree and on so that. And so one of the things that really shocked me is how if you're a jaywalker, right? Jaywalking being like crossing the street when you're not supposed yeah. to. There are street cameras, there are traffic cameras that'll catch your face, right. right? And then what they'll do is they'll shame you by then posting your picture up so everyone oh, yes. can see you, right? <laughs> so that's that's really significant for a bunch of reasons, right? It's supposed to enforce social harmony, right? Mm. But you know, that does you're you're not going through any legal process to prove that you're actually a jaywalker. Right. Like it's just, oh, we took a picture of you, therefore it must be jaywalking. You know, like but then it's maybe there was a that information. Right. And it's just openly available. Like what if there's a, a blockade down the street? Or what if like, you know what if your face it, is on a bus and it's right. What if you? it's on a face on a bus? Like there's so many things here that having no legal process mm-hmm. is can have huge consequences on people's individual lives. I mean, it's like you were saying before. It's all, I mean, especially in this case, you've kind of illustrated. I mean, that really is a panopticon. I mean, it's it's taking a supposed crime that they show your face with and then mm-hmm. showing your face to everybody else and saying, like, right. this person is committing a crime. You yeah. should shame them, you know? Right. And and what's what makes it go a little bit further is now that there's this push by the Chinese government to create this um, social credit score. Yes. And so now all this big data that you have across all these different government entities and private entities within China are all can now be linked together and once you have data you can do um linked analysis and you know there's all these things that they could do uh, i mean i think we may have talked about this in the episode before on an episode before but things like um if you have a low credit score if you hang out with people who have other low credit scores your score will go down lower mm-hmm. or if you um if you are like late on your bills you may get higher interest rates on on like loans or you may not be able to use certain planes um there's this huge infrastructure in place mm-hmm. to enforce social harmony quote unquote in in society and i i it, i there's a lot of privacy and human rights implications in that no i mean this issue is I, you know we're not we're not trying to overload you with information there's just so much going on with yeah. facial recognition it's tied in with things even if we like excluded the idea of facial recognition you know just people's ability to track you and then you know be able to make assumptions about you legally or socially mm-hmm. or economically you know seeing where you're going you know but for one and who you're associating with as you just said you know you don't even necessarily need facial recognition to do that right so you know it's it's wrapped up in all of these sort of issues and you know unfortunately it's an area that you're probably going to see very little protections existing unless it's just outright ban, which is a possibility yeah i know there's there's a couple cities in california who are considering that right now yeah i don't know if it will end up being the case i wouldn't personally be too hopeful but i guess we'll see as time goes on often Mm. technological progress and privacy rights tend to run up against each other in in situations like this right and especially what's really important to know is that this technology is is growing Mm -hmm. but as it grows and as the data sets grow and as the technology grows, it, we're, we're going to see it be heavily commodified. Oh, absolutely. In that sense, it's going to be really cheap to do very soon. All you need is a camera and you could do software as a service and just have that algorithm work for you. So when you go into just, you know, to give you an idea of how, how that technological advancement could even look. So, for instance, right now, where you are located inside of a store could be fairly accurately predicted. Just based off of you know the strength of your Wi-Fi, sorry, 
can be fairly accurately predicted based off the strength of Wi-Fi signals, among other things, that can give a rough idea about where you are in a store, which could be then used and commodified to say, like, oh, Blank is shopping in the home goods section or Blank is shopping in the baby section. Oh, they might, they may, might be pre- uh, pregnant. You know, we might be able to advertise them even more heavily because pregnant people often are about to make huge life changes and therefore are a huge opportunity for us to gain, like, a loyal uh, shopper for the coming years. Right. You know, but with facial recognition, imagine if you're walking through a store and you don't even realize this, but like every item you look at, it's something is looking at your face. Something is evaluating your facial patterns as you Mm. react, as you see certain things. And it's saying, oh, so-and-so reacted poorly to this new video game. Just seeing this video game cover, that clearly isn't working, that marketing strategy. We're going to have to change it. And you're not even thinking about these things, but all these, you know, even to the minutest detail could be used, you know, and commodified and sold. Right, right. And like something like your eyebrow raising. Yeah, you know? the subtlety of it. I mean, you'll, I think you'll see a lot of uh, behavioral psychologists, you know, coming into the fold for facial recognition mm-hmm. within the coming years. I, 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 I want to just mention this, and I, it's already complicating this issue so much, and I, I apologize for doing so, audience. But, I, you know, this is also wrapped up into sort of facial recognition technology is the existence of deep fakes. I don't know if you know what that is. Of course, deep fakes, yes. Yeah, so for our audience, deep fakes are when... Basically, you know, you take someone's face and you place it on someone else's body mm-hmm. and you recreate them speaking and you can have them effectively say and seem to be doing whatever you want for the most part. And as the technology continues to improve and facial recognition continues to improve, the ability to discern if someone's actually doing something or not, as we've already demonstrated just by right now with the limitations of technology is difficult. But in the future, it may become almost impossible to rely on video evidence. Right, right. And and the, the, the fact remains is that in order to be able to to do these kind of deep fakes where you can um, make it seem like one person is doing another person's thing, it entirely relies on data sets and it entirely relies on enough video evidence of you existing for you to be able to be replicated in a deep that fake. That is right? true. So yeah. that's why a lot today, a lot of the deep fakes you'll see are of politicians or of actors yeah, where there's a large, a large amount of source material that mm-hmm. you can pull from and then create the deep fake. But as we see surveillance growing there's a large corpus of mm-hmm. video files that can be used conceivably to do this. Um, the more the more data that there is, the more accurate it can be. Um, side note, a little bit more lighthearted, I saw a deep fake on Reddit the other day. Yes. And it was Jim Carrey, the actor Jim Carrey, superimposed over Jack Nicholson in The Shining. <laughs> and it was incredible. It was awesome. It looked yeah. as if Jim Carrey was in that movie. I believe you. Um, and that's because there's a lot of a lot of video file a lot of video files of jim carrey acting and of jack nicholson acting and so you could create that system in place um so i i have no idea where we're going to go in evaluating truth because everything can be replicated and we have so much data that we can replicate it almost perfectly Mm -hmm. that the idea of trust is going to be something that's it's that's up up for the grabs here and i think you know, if things go on with the track they're going, you know, with facial recognition continuing to be used, you know, people who accumulate this facial recognition data, they are going to be a gold mine for hackers in the coming years. People are going to target yeah. these people. Imagine if somebody hacks into data files that basically have a bunch of images of your face and you go abroad into China or something like that and they decide, oh, we don't like this person. We want to arrest them. They have all of that reference data that they have now yeah. stolen. They can easily fabricate you saying things and doing things that you did not do, and that's enough evidence, and they just hold you there indefinitely. I mean, this, yeah. this is an easy possibility that I think you could see in the coming years. I, I, I think we should be very concerned about 
hackers and facial recognition as if, as it is used as a technology. I, I right. think anyone who uses it is going to just be a target. Right, and we're already seeing it, the trickles of it. Not not with facial recognition, but with other biometric data. That is true. Like when the OPM was hacked yes, that's uh, right. in 2013, the, there yeah, were fingerprints, fingerprints that were taken. Mm-hmm. And so these are fingerprints that hackers have access to and have just posted. Yeah. You can just have access to all these fingerprint files online right now if you wanted to. Um, and these are just the fingerprints of federal employees Yeah, that you know you could store and you could lay them into an iPhone, for instance, that has a thumbprint sure. recognition scan, and then boom, you have access to the phone. Um, so unlike passwords, which can be changed easily, Biometric data can't be. Biometric data can't be. You can't change... Well, you can change your face, but not many of us want to. It's expensive. Right. Well... (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get a nose job and then then no longer be noticed. Well, I mean, on the subject of a more lighthearted note... Yeah, it's a good transition. I think it's a good transition to say, I mean, you can stop facial recognition a little bit, you know, by, by, you know, obviously wearing a mask or things like that. But this is where the... As we said in the intro... The uh, how juggalos, you know, the face paint of juggalos, which are for those unfamiliar. Yeah, of, explain of, explain to the audience what a juggalo is. Jacob. Yeah, I never thought I'd be doing this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but juggalos are, I, you know, I feel like I'll actually butcher the explanation, but effectively, like a sort of music crowd associated with a variety of other things that well, uh, the, we won't they, get into. The, well, I guess I know more than you then, Apparently, because yes. juggalos are the are fans of the rap group, the Insane Clown Posse. Of course, that's right. Sorry. And the Insane Clown Posse, as given by the name, are death metal rap clowns yes. and so the audience members will wear clown makeup right which we have found jacob yes to be actually a means of combating facial recognition they actually can't tell who you are when you're wearing this clown makeup so you know expect your revolutionaries to be wearing juggalo uh clown makeup oh, in, the, in wow. the coming years Jeez, yeah so there's there's doing some of the research and looking into like ways you can thwart right um facial scans and being mm-hmm. able to be identified there are the AI is trained to notice a diff- distance between your eyes and your nose and oh, the distance yeah. between the bottom of your nose, the top of your face. Right. Um, it looks at proportions and distance between spaces. So if you can add something or obfuscate the distance mm-hmm. of when one part of your face begins and the other part of your face begins, mm-hmm. that's where it, it gets difficult. So one, one strategy to stop a, a, a facial recognition AI from you know finding you and locating who you are is adding dots or adding facial features to your mm-hmm. face that throws off where you can be identified from, right? So conceivably, if you painted photorealistic eyes like slightly below and to the left of your eyes, like it looked like you would, you would have like literally four eyes, like a spider, mm-hmm. um, that would throw off an AI big mm-hmm. time. Um, I mean, of course, this is not foolproof. There are ways you can train systems out of this, but... I mean, this is just for the time being as these, you know, sort of systems are kind of nascent. Mm -hmm. And as time goes on, they might become more educated and they might be able to go around these. But, you know, it's a funny thing and it's interesting to see that there are means of combating against it. Right, right. Like uh, sunglasses also, UV protected sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Um, Some can actually see through the the glasses, but usually UV sunglasses work pretty well. Um, there's been there's been research into this to try to thwart this already, which you know would does not sound surprising. No, uh, of ge- geometric patterns that you put on your face. Um, one of the funniest things that I found was you just wear clothes of other people's faces, kind of yeah, like that, Jacob's bus funny. example. Yes, like yes, I have yes, a jacket yes. of a hundred different faces that I found on Google, and I just wear them. And mm. the AI is like, "Where where is the face? There's so many faces." You know, of course, you could always get a face of somebody else tattooed on your face. That oh, would keep you I see. Safe yes, yes, You'd never be exactly. Who you are, but but also there, like a lot of AI is already getting past this. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So there was an instance of 
um, certain offices in China where you have to scan your face to enter work. Oh my god! And if you walk up to the the timestamp, like when you're supposed to enter, you're supposed to go up and like be there, mm-hmm. and then it lets you in. But if mm-hmm. you go there and you hold up a picture of someone's face, it realizes that it's a picture, not your face. Mm. Um, so that's like an not foolproof, but in a distance, it may work. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, this seems to be you know a continuous issue, and you know we'll probably cover it as as a new news stories breaks on it as it inevitably will. But luckily we have our resident insane clown posse expert, uh, <laughs> Dayton Williams here to help us walk through all of the techniques and trades that you can use to keep yourself safe in the age of facial recognition. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, wouldn't it be so cool to host like a facial recognition, like thwarting fashion show? It would be very, you know, that could be uh, the next big thing. Yeah, yeah. I'll get my I'll get my, my clown makeup and you can get your jacket of faces. Of course. And we'll meet next weekend. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Decrypted. We hope you've had a good time. And, you know, while you're out there, make sure you keep your face safe. (laughs) Because who knows who's watching. See you next time. Decrypted is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1433425 for the CyberCorp program at the George Washington University. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Science Foundation.